Mass protests in a central Chinese city after the mysterious death of a schoolboy. Authorities said he committed suicide by jumping off a building. I'm sure no one would accept it. A China-linked group is reportedly funneling millions into American climate groups. The revelation is raising concerns about Chinese influence in U.S. energy policies. Ten years after a historic breach, the CIA is reportedly working to rebuild its espionage network inside communist China. How much progress has it made and what roadblocks is it facing? And the U.S.-China rivalry is heating up in space. America now launching a robot space plane in its competition with China. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Don Ma in for Tiffany Meyer. Thousands of people rushing into a state building in central China this week. They gathered to protest the death of a local teenager. Authorities say he fell from a building on campus, but photos of his remains have ignited other speculation. Just a warning, some viewers may find the following content disturbing. Thousands of citizens in Shangshu City took to the streets Thursday protesting the death of a 14-year-old boy. We spoke to one of the demonstrators. To protect her identity, we distorted her voice. There were injuries all over his body, on his ankles, feet, and legs, and also broken bones. Authorities said he committed suicide by jumping off a building. I'm sure no one would accept it. Our whole family came out to ask for justice for this child. We for sure are worried. Every family has children. Just a warning, some viewers may find the following footage disturbing due to its graphic nature. On December 24th, Christmas Eve, the boy died while at school. Photos show his body covered in bruises with multiple wounds in his arms. Some of the wounds were deep enough to show bone. The boy's ankle was also broken. A student who claimed to be from the same school shared a video about the incident online. In it, he said that the deceased may have been beaten to death by his classmates in the bathroom the night of the 23rd, and that later the school authorities threw his body off the building to fake a suicide. The boy's family disagreed with the suicide claim and came out to protest in front of the school. It took a dramatic turn when county authorities issued an official announcement on Wednesday saying the boy had not been killed and restating suicide as his cause of death. The next day, thousands took to the streets, speaking out for the teenager and his family. If another family's child isn't safe, your child is for sure not safe either. Something like this may happen to your child too. This kind of thing has happened in many places before, so you're concerned for sure. On Thursday, one protester also rushed into a state building where state media operates offices. Local residents say hundreds of police officers were deployed to the scene where they set up roadblocks. Attempts to quell the protest also went digital. A Shangju citizen shared a text message he received from the local police station, threatening people not to go near the school where the incident occurred. Shangju City also closed all highways around the city in response. A nonprofit organization with extensive ties to the Chinese regime 
found to be giving millions of dollars to American climate and environmental groups. That's according to a Fox News report citing the foundation's tax filings. The revelation has raised concerns of Chinese influence in U.S. energy policies. Critics argue such ties might compromise U.S. national security, making the U.S. reliant on China for resources essential to renewable energy. The group known as Energy Foundation China, is registered in California with its Chinese office registered in Beijing. The organization reportedly contributed $3.8 million to climate initiatives in the U.S. The receiver of such funds include agencies that engage with the White House on climate policy and advocate phasing out fossil fuels and natural gas. The group has significant ties to the CCP. Its current CEO is a former Chinese official, and some key staff members served in high-ranking roles inside Chinese state agencies and research institutions. Beyond that, executives tied to the nonprofit frequently meet with Chinese officials and CCP-linked institutes, reportedly to discuss what they call cooperation between the U.S. and China on climate issues. According to a 2017 press release from the Chinese regime, the nonprofit's CEO at the time said the foundation hoped to further serve China's going global national strategy and participate in the work of the Belt and Road Initiative. As of 2015, the release stated the nonprofit had contributed a cumulative 240 million U.S. dollars in grants to China. The organization receives its funding from private Western foundations like the MacArthur Foundation and the Rockefeller Brothers Fund. The revelation comes amid an ongoing congressional probe into the CCP's growing influence on the American environmental activist movement. China dominates the green energy market. The country produces the majority of the world's lithium-ion batteries, plus the critical minerals that are key to building electric vehicles. The Chinese regime has long advocated for international cooperation on climate issues and portrayed itself as a leader in the Global Climate Initiative. Though critics say much of its advocacy remains lip service, especially when it comes to cutting carbon emissions inside its own border. China emitted 27 percent of the world's greenhouse gases in 2019, exceeding the combined emissions of all developed nations. Its CO2 emissions are roughly twice that of the United States each year. The U.S. was the second largest emitter at 11 percent. Meanwhile, the regime continues to rapidly approve new coal-fired power stations, building the equivalent of two new coal plants per week in 2022. China's CO2 emissions grew 10 percent year-on-year in the first quarter of 2023. One of the world's most sophisticated intel operations, according to the Wall Street Journal, the CIA is still working to rebuild its espionage network inside communist China. This comes 10 years after Beijing reportedly breached a spying operation and rounded up dozens of agents. All of them, including high-ranking CCP officials, were either killed or imprisoned. And today, under an intense surveillance system, gathering intelligence out of China is becoming a much harder task. Despite that, CIA Director William Burns said earlier this year that the agency is making progress in this regard. Yeah, we've made progress and we're working very hard um, over recent years um, to ensure that we have a strong human intelligence capability to complement um, what we can acquire through other methods. Burns told the Wall Street Journal that China remains a global priority for the agency. 
To this day, the CIA has yet to admit to the loss of its agents. But some U.S. officials have described the breach as one of the worst in decades. U.S.-China space competition is heating up, the Pentagon launching a robot space plane Thursday, two weeks after China brought out its own version. Here are the details. Three, two, one. Engine full power and liftoff. The U.S. military launched its secretive X-37B robot space plane on Thursday. The plane blasted off from Cape Canaveral atop a SpaceX Falcon Heavy rocket, which is capable of delivering it to a higher orbit than ever before. The U.S. Space Force conducted the launch, which came after more than two weeks of false starts and delays due to poor weather and technical issues. It's the space plane's seventh mission since 2010. The Pentagon has given few details about how high it will fly this time, but looking at official statements, industry analysts and amateur space trackers speculate that X-37B may be bound for a highly elliptical orbit around Earth, or even a path that could swing it out to the vicinity of the Moon, a region of space in which the Pentagon has taken an increasing interest. The space plane is also carrying a NASA experiment to study how plant seeds are affected by prolonged exposure to the harsh environment of radiation in space. The ability to grow crops in space has major implications for keeping astronauts alive during future long-term missions to the Moon and Mars. Thursday's launch comes two weeks after China blasted its own equally secretive Shenlong robot space plane on a launch system less powerful than SpaceX's rocket. Still, as the U.S.-China rivalry in space heats up, Space Force General Bi Chan Saltzman had earlier this month said he expected China to launch Shenlong around the same time as the X-37B in what's seen as a competitive move. X-37B's mission is expected to last until 2026. U.S. chipmaker NVIDIA is launching a new kind of high-end chip for China. The chip is a modified version of an advanced gaming chip designed to comply with Washington's export controls on China. NVIDIA says the chip offers a quantum leap in performance, efficiency, and artificial intelligence-driven graphics. A spokesperson said the advanced chip will be available to Chinese customers starting in January. Could these chip sales help advance China's military capabilities? We sat down with Ethan Yang, adjunct research fellow at the American Institute for Economic Research for Insight. And now here with me is Ethan Yang, adjunct research fellow at the American Institute for Economic Research. So Ethan, glad to have you. Uh, now, the point of the Biden administration's uh, China chip export rule is to uh, stop Beijing from receiving cutting-edge U.S. technologies uh, that could, you know, potentially strengthen its military. But on this NVIDIA story, can these modified versions of the chips, uh, are they still able to uh, advance China's military, do you think? So, of course, the Chinese military may be able to use these ships for uh, the dual-use purposes, right? These are made primarily for video games and to make uh, AI technologies like ChatGPT and whatnot. Uh, but, of course, you can use them to make uh, cruise missiles. You can use them to make all sorts of advanced uh, technologies uh, for weapons of war. And, of course, that's a problem. But, uh, like I said, right, the reason why the, the Secretary of uh, Commerce Department made these restrictions is just to buy time right, and to set a baseline amount. So they just want... Uh, you know, companies like NVIDIA too. They still want companies like NVIDIA to sell things to China. Uh, NVIDIA, I think, uh, controls more than 90% of the AI chip market in China, right? So that gives us a lot of leverage, us being the U.S. 
It also makes a lot of money for American companies and we can bring it back home, right? So the the U.S. knows that uh, these ships may be used to make weapons of war, uh, but the assumption is that we'll probably have even better chips down the line. So that's why they set the uh, they set the restriction where it was, and then anything below that restriction, uh, you know, we're we're happy to sell to the Chinese. So, in your view, do these uh, chip sales violate that spirit of the chip curbs? I'd say probably not. I believe uh, NVIDIA and companies like NVIDIA uh, speak with the Commerce Department a lot. Uh, there's a lot of back and forth that goes on behind the scenes uh, when it comes to uh, you know the, the interests of the companies to sell to China on the one hand and the American national security interests on the other hand. Um, so I do think maybe making it five percent less. I believe that's it's, it's only just it just goes right up to the line and maybe not and uh, just stops right there. Uh, so perhaps that's a little bit on the nose, but at the end of the day, like I said, uh, the Commerce Department is mostly just worried about uh, anything you add know, a certain baseline level, and then anything below that they're not necessarily concerned with. And they know that in a couple months, uh, these chips might even be obsolete. We might have even better ones. I don't think we should be too concerned uh, with these chips going to China because we're going to make some much better chips in just a couple months. All right. Ethan Yang, American Institute for Economic Research. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Another turn in China's political drama, Beijing naming a new defense minister Friday, four months after his predecessor was dramatically ousted. The former minister disappeared from public view four months ago and was later removed from his job. Beijing never gave a reason for his removal. The new defense minister, Dong Jun, would be in charge of high-level defense talks between China and the U.S., especially about Taiwan and the South China Sea, two flashpoints in U.S.-China relations. Dong's background aligns with that role. He was the vice commander of two Chinese forces, one in charge of fighting Taiwan, the other overseas operations in the South China Sea. Dong won't have a real power to command the military, though. That's in the hands of China's top military decision-making body, the Central Military Commission. Chinese leader Xi Jinping heads the organization. Dong's appointment comes with other personnel shakeups, signs of an internal infighting inside the Chinese Communist Party. Beijing has so far removed nine senior military officials from China's top legislative body. The ousted officials come from two branches, the Rocket Force and the Equipment Development Department. Two ministers before Dong also served these two forces. Coming up, a Chinese national has been released after attacking a Falun Gong practitioner in South Korea. Reports say the assault could be connected to China's secret police. A mass exodus of foreign investment, a crematorium business boom, and a smartphone company's first electric vehicle. A look at the latest economic updates from inside China. And China is bracing for potential transportation disruptions. That's as fog envelops much of the country amid worsening pollution. A Chinese national has been released after assaulting a Falun Gong practitioner in South Korea. A video reveals what happened last week during the incident at a natural landmark. The Chinese national is seen destroying Falun Gong information posters while an accomplice records everything. In that video, the asylum repeatedly shouts, quote, if you have the guts, just call the police. The accomplice was released immediately after his arrest. The main attacker was released after 36 hours and was made to pay a fine. 
A final court decision is expected by the end of the month. Falun Gong is an ancient spiritual meditation practice based on truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance. It has been persecuted by the Chinese Communist Party since 1999. Over the past few months, there have been over a dozen attacks on South Korean Falun Gong practitioners. It's believed that they may be related to the Chinese embassy and Chinese secret police. Next, a roundup of short economic updates from China. With global stock exchange seeing its highest post-pandemic traffic in 2023, major investors are ditching the world's second largest economy. According to calculations by the Financial Times, nearly 90% of all foreign cash flow that ventured into China's stock market this year has already retreated, marking the lowest inflow on record. Driving the downturn, youth unemployment, low consumer spending, and a bigger-than-ever housing crisis. At the beginning of this year, major Wall Street banks began to bet on a potential economic rebound in the communist country. They hoped that a market revival would flourish on the back of a post-pandemic China. Heading into the year-end, those promises fell short, as analysts forecast more uncertainty in the future. And as the pandemic continues to sweep across the country, crematorium businesses in China are exploding. Urns are now in excessive demand, according to a worker at an urn factory. All products made in the first half of this year are already sold out. To protect his identity, we distorted his voice. From last year's new year through the first half of this year, we couldn't even keep up with production. During the new year, our warehouse sent out roughly 50,000 urns. Our boss was recruiting staff. We opened up a lot of factories in the first half of this year. Since the start of this winter, China has seen a spike in COVID-19-related deaths. Many people across the country reportedly witnessed friends and relatives dying suddenly. And these cases were mostly comprised of middle-aged and older people. And switching gears to the automotive sector, a Chinese smartphone company is changing its direction, making its debut in the electric vehicle market. The Speed Ultra 7 sedan marks Xiaomi's first attempt to get into the automotive industry, touting a, quote, super electric motor. The company's founder said that Xiaomi's end goal is to become one of the world's top five automakers. Worth noting. China currently makes two-thirds of the world's electric vehicles because its products are being sold at a cheaper price than Western alternatives. Washington fears that these imports could further damage an already dwindling domestic EV market. Some of Shanghai's landmarks disappeared behind a haze of fog on Friday, leaving Chinese year-end holidaymakers bracing for possible transport disruptions. Here's a closer look. The Weather Bureau warned that the heavy fog would shroud areas from Hebei province in the north to Shanghai in the south for more than 24 hours. The Central Meteorological Observatory issued its first red alert for fog since 2017. Shanghai residents were unaccustomed to seeing their city like this. It's definitely different. In this hazy weather, I can no longer see the Shanghai Center Tower, which is the tallest building in Shanghai. As I look from the Paxi to Pudong side, the Oriental Pearl Tower is also faintly visible. Some of the city's ferry routes were temporarily suspended. Some sections of highways and a bridge to a container port were temporarily closed. Dense fog was predicted in parts of Hebei, Shandong, Anhui, Jiangsu and Shanghai, leading to low visibility of less than 50 meters in some areas. More than 600 flights were delayed in various cities, tracking app Flightmaster showed. 
A push to revive a 5,000-year culture that was almost lost. The world's premier classical Chinese dance company, Shen Yun, kicking off its 2024 world tour. NTD's Evan Lee sat down with artists from Shen Yun on what it takes to be the top of classical arts. When you found out what it actually involves, how was that like for you? I think at first it was more like, oh, the show's so pretty and you just want to be on stage and just perform. But I think there's a lot that came into it that it's like, it changed me as a character and definitely a lot of, to be able to train and try to become professional at anything and dance especially, you have to have a lot of self-discipline and it's a lot more than just the physical aspect, like you said, is mm. I think, it's a really humbling experience. Humbling experience. So how was it for you? Was it difficult? I imagine as a 13-year-old as boy, you also need to build up that discipline. Was that something difficult to do? Uh, definitely very difficult, but it's something you almost, you need to find what drives you to be a dancer. Like just going into it because you like it, that's how you start. But as you dance, you know, or doing anything in life, you have to find when things get tough, what really drives you? And for me, even though I was young at the time, the mission of Shin Yun is actually something that is really amazing. To revive a culture that was almost destroyed, to revive 5,000 years of traditional Chinese culture. And I think when you think about it, even when things get hard, that is actually something that's very inspirational for a young person. And mm. it really drove me through some of the tougher times. That is incredible that you understand this. How long have you been dancing now and what keeps you going now? Um, I started dancing when I was 10 years old. I would say that um, there's so many aspects to it. I definitely agree that it's, it's something so, it's hard to wrap your mind around at, first, at such a young age that I'm going to be reviving traditional Chinese culture. Um, but as I got more into it, I realized that it's just something really, it's something that's so much bigger than myself and it was a really special feeling to know that I'm part of something bigger and I'm part of a mm. team. What would you say is the hardest part and what's your favorite part of being a dancer? Who wants to go first? <laughs> I would say the hardest part is just um, trying to become like really skilled at something, it requires a lot of practice. And there's always gonna be times when you don't wanna, you don't wanna get up in the morning to continue like the same schedule it's just a lot of it requires a lot of self-discipline and i think that's something very challenging because we all have always have those lazy days and oh, sure. <laughs> yeah and it's you want to you want to always be better than the you you were yesterday so mm -hmm. if you want to keep on keep on climbing up that hill really it's sometimes you just feel like you stay in the same place for a while and you don't really see much improvement so it takes a lot of i think just the mental um, push to like sh strive to become better and know that there is really there's no limit to the the like no limit to how good you can get mm. so it's always you got to keep pushing yourself and i think that's something that's really challenging mm. that's all for today's china in focus i'm don ma if you have any feedback on the show or have something you would like to see us cover send us an email at china at ntd.com we'd love to hear from you thank you for watching see you next year